using it to intimidate families so they don't come across the border. He's using it as a political ploy. So it's not the law. And to say it is the law is just misrepresenting the facts. I don't mind intimidating families so they don't come across the border. That doesn't bother me a bit. Um, it'd be nice if politicians would give us the whole story whenever they talk and just parts of the story. So you got to try to piece it together to figure out what the hell's going on. Oh my God! What's a law? A... What's a policy? Did past presidents do this or not? Just, just tell me what's going on. This is a swirling maelstrom of half truths, which makes it really difficult to figure out what's going on. And you're telling me that picture of that <clears throat> crying little kid in the in the red shirt or whatever? Yeah, the one that I saw all weekend long. Yeah. The, that kid and mom weren't separated? No, that's just, mom is just getting cuffed right there. There are other pictures of her taking the kid's shoelaces off, which they have to do, and, and all. They're together through this whole thing. Now, what what's going to happen next? I don't know. But it was a scared little kid. You got bright lights and guys with low voices, and mom says, stand over there. And the little which, kid was crying. It which, had nothing to do with the current debate. Which could happen if you try to go into a country illegally. Right. Well, uh, to uh, pursue enlightenment, some facts, etc., we've invited uh, Andrew Arthur on. Mr. Arthur is a resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies and is eminently qualified to talk on the topic. Um, uh, Mr. Arthur became counsel on the House Judiciary Committee, where he performed oversight of immigration issues in 01. Uh, he was uh, appointed to the immigration bench, serving for eight years as an immigration judge. Um, and, and and that's just the beginning of his uh, his resume. Mr. Arthur, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. It's our pleasure. May we call you Andrew? Yeah, of course you can. Excellent, Andrew. So, first of all, we're having trouble figuring out what the facts are right now. Well, what is the policy? What's happening? Are the activist groups right in what they're claiming? Well, what the president is doing is he's applying the law as written. Individuals who enter the United States illegally are subject to being prosecuted uh, and receiving a sentence of up to six months in jail. So uh, the individuals who we're talking about are people who are apprehended after entering illegally with their children in the United States. Now, of course, we don't prosecute children, so the uh, parents are prosecuted and the child is not. Unfortunately, because of the way that the law has been written, including written by um, uh, Democrats uh, in 2002 in the Homeland Security Act, in 2008 in the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, instead of remaining in DHS custody, once a child is, once the parent is sent to uh, criminal prosecution, the child becomes unaccompanied. And an unaccompanied child has to be sent to Health and Human Services, not DHS. Under a settlement agreement from back in 1997 uh, in Flores versus Reno, there is a presumption that uh, minors will be released, even if they are accompanied by their parents, within 20 days. So, uh, and be released to HHS. So, by operation of law, both the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2008 and the Flores Settlement Agreement, which is agreed to by the Obama administration, there is a presumption that those children are going to go to HHS. Parents can't go to HHS, so by action of law, one of two things can happen. Either the parents and the children can be released uh, into the interior of the United States, which just encourages more parents and children to come to the United States or more parents to bring their children to the United States. Or, or, or bring other people's children, too, which does happen. Which does happen all too often. Uh, or alternatively, uh, to separate the families. And the uh, situation that you're looking at right now is the separation. And again, that happens by operational law. 
this is a uh, Trump administration policy, but the policy is to apply the law. If Congress doesn't like the law, they can change the law. And in fact, there are fixes to uh, these provisions in both the Securing America's Future Act, which is also known as the Goodlatte-McCall Bill or the Bob Goodlatte Bill, as well as in the compromise uh, language that uh, was released over the weekend and that Congress is apparently going to take up uh, this week with respect to amnesty for DACA applicants. Well, what should the law be? If a family shows up at the border and tries to come in illegally, what should we do if we're not doing this? We should detain the entire family in DHS custody. The child, during the brief period of time that the parents would be prosecuted, because, of course, they'd go into marshal service custody and BOP custody, uh, should be in immigration detention when the parents get out, which generally happens after only a few days. The parent and the child should be reunited in DHS custody, and they should remain in DHS custody until their cases can be heard. Is that realistic at all, though, with the, the numbers that we deal with? Absolutely. Uh, and you'd mentioned that I was an immigration judge amongst the uh, era, amongst the facilities within my jurisdiction was the Burks Family Shelter. This was the original family shelter in the United States. Uh, and families were detained at that facility and are detained at that facility to this day um, in a very humane uh, manner. It keeps the family together. Uh, individuals who have received very little medical care, very little dental care in their home countries are provided that. The children are educated. They're given a place to, to you know, sleep, and they're fed. Now, when you talk about massive numbers of people, that's when you start to have a problem. But the whole point of the Trump administration policy is to reduce the number of people that we see in this situation crossing over the border. Yeah, if you never got in, people would stop trying, I suppose. Exactly, and that's the whole idea. And here's the reason why we want to stop, and people are, you know, keep ascribing this to some sort of deep, dark motive that Donald Trump has. But in order to get to the United States, these individuals have to entrust themselves to smugglers. The one thing that we know is that every smuggler that works along the southwest border either works for one of the drug trafficking cartels or pays money to the drug trafficking cartels. One, two, smugglers are bad people. Um, they rape, they rob, they kill, and even if you pay them to bring them to the United States, there's still a significant likelihood that they're going to hold you for ransom and do horrible things to you so that they can demand money from your family members in the United States, more money, in order to release you. And it's not like you're going to go to court and sue the smuggler after the fact uh, for breach of contract. So what the Trump administration is attempting to do is to you know, cut down on the harm, the horrible, grievous peril that these parents are subjecting themselves and their children to on this trip to the United States. That's what gets lost in all of this. If we were to release all of these individuals, we would see a massive wave of families coming to the United States. And the horrors that those individuals would face on their way to this country would blanch in, or uh, would cause any immigration detention situation to blanch in comparison. Right, and the fact that we're so emotionally, easily emotionally manipulated by a picture of a crying little girl that isn't even relevant to the story, but don't spend a moment thinking about the rape, the robbery, the torture, the abductions, etc. is just, well, it's a measure of, you know, how politics works. Andrew Arthur is a resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies. The he's best immig- guest I've heard on this yet. Indeed. He's been an uh, immigration judge, uh, was the counsel on the House Judiciary Committee, overseeing immigration issues. Andrew, a bit of a tangent here, but this is what comes of a feckless Congress that passes vague laws or 
convoluted laws and then grants an enormous amount of discretion to the uh, the executive branch to either enforce the law or not enforce the law, executive orders, the rest of it. It's not the way the system's supposed to work, and we're reaping what we have sown here, I think. There's no better way to put that. Uh, years of non-enforcement under the Obama administration has brought about an expectation that there would be non-enforcement of the laws. The immigration laws of the United States, and people always say the immigration system is broken, the immigration laws of the United States actually make perfect sense uh, when they're actually applied. And they generally have the effect uh, that they're supposed to have when they're actually applied. But the problem is we've seen years of non-enforcement of the laws. Now, Congress always grants prosecutorial discretion or allows uh, agencies to have prosecutorial discretion, but it's generally in a case-by-case basis. And as an immigration judge, I was given discretion with respect to individual cases. The Obama administration, on the other hand, took this and ran with it and abused it. Deferred action for childhood arrivals is a form of prosecutorial discretion that was applied to 888,765 applicants. When you start to have non-enforcement of the law like that, that's when you start to have problems like this. That's when you have people believing that all they have to do is make it into the United States and they can stay. One very important point to make You can show up at a port of entry without a document and ask for asylum. If the individuals who were covered by all of this had just done that, there wouldn't be any separation because you don't get prosecuted for showing up at a port of entry. You only get prosecuted for entering illegally. So even though showing up without a visa is not legal, it's not criminal either. And it will result in a much more humane situation as it relates to these families. But they're playing a game. If they get into the United States without getting caught, they get the benefit of their bargain. If they get into the United States and get caught, they expect to fall back on these loopholes. And I've written about these loopholes, uh, CIS.org, that uh, exist, that have been employed in the law up to this point, that have brought us to this situation. What be where would be the best place to start? Do you have to start with securing the border, or do you do all the other stuff and then you don't have to worry about it as much about securing the border because people would stop trying to come? Because we, we've talked about the various polls over the years. Practically everybody wants the border secured. It's not a controversial topic at all. Like 80, 90 percent of people, which includes Democrats, want the border secure. So why can't we get that done? Well, because of of situations like this, this is border security. Uh, When you say you're in favor of border security, what you mean is you want to limit the number of people who are entering the United States irregularly, as we say in immigration law, or illegally, as everybody else says. I'm from Maryland. We're a nautical state. You patch the hole in the boat before you start bailing the boat. You have to secure the border, and unfortunately, prosecuting individuals who enter the United States illegally is the best way that you can have of preventing, deterring individuals from entering the United States illegally. Interesting. Andrew Arthur is a resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies. We'll have a link at our website so you can find his uh, writings that he mentioned uh, very easily. I say it again, the best guest I've heard on this topic. Yeah, Andrew, we, we thank you very, very much. Great to talk, and let's stay in touch. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you again. You got it. How freaking good was he? Immigration law. Listen to your other stupid shows with your stupid people. Immi- huh? Immigration We're judge stupid people friends. talking to smart people. Right. It's one better. <laughs> uh, it's just so frustrating. And then you get into the politics of it. And listen, uh, you just at some point, you either get so angered and disgusted by politics, you turn off of it, which is the direction I'm going. 
Or do you accept that it's a dumb, grubby act of trying to frighten the herd into running one way or the other? And you just accept it. It's the And Charles, you grow to kind of enjoy it. It's the Charles Krauthammer book title, All That Matters. This is the best system, and this is the way you get things done by playing this ridiculous effing game. But right. it is frustrating. Yes, it is. It is. The lying, the manipulation is just astonishing. Yeah, the, well, you could go on and on. The percentage of people who actually show up to their hearings is tiny. The game is just get into the country, get a piece of paper. You know, whoever you are, whoever you're claiming to be, whoever those kids are, whoever they're claiming to be, et cetera, you just get in and then you disappear. And, for the and dem- everybody knows it, both parties. Every sure. single and congressperson in both parties understands this, and they lie to you systematically. And for the Democrats, it's future, future voters, and for the Republicans, it's workers for big corporations that Wall Street likes. Agriculture, et cetera, yeah. Yep. And it's just uh, very maddening. Well, and for both parties, it's propping up Social Security and Medicare, which are increasingly upside down. And it's that a great is why they lie. And it's a great wedge issue to claim that if you vote for us, we'll end this horror. Even though one way or the other, I don't know how many elections you fall for that. We'll stop separating crying little red-shirted girls from their mother, or we'll stop the murders of the illegals who come in and shoot people. Blah, blah, blah. They're not going to do any of it. They're a bunch of lying liars. Lying liars. Uh, our text line, 415-295-KFTC. Pay toilets are making a comeback, Jack. I've been I've been advocating that for years. Oh, you're Mr. Pay Toilet. Yeah. I was, I've was i been on the ground floor of the pay toilet movement. Absolutely. We're superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. <laughs> Carney's birthday, and you play this sewage. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. This is the worst. <clears throat> it's worse for Michael Jackson and for Paul McCartney, two of the biggest stars in the history of making music. I was, I was the hottest thing on the planet at the time, all right? You've got a Beatle and Jacko, all right? Stupid song and a stupid video. At least it's not Ebony and Ivory. For the love of God. Hey, Michael, play Junior's Farm, would you? After, uh, take us out of the break with it. Okay, got it. Or into the break, or out of the same, whatever the hell. Hey, speaking... We'll play some good Paul McCartney music on his birthday. Speaking of ignorant enter- fool. <laughs> speaking of entertainment, Sean mentioned that The Incredibles 2, which was the biggest animated opening in the history of animation, was the best movie of the year. Is that what you said? It's the best movie I've seen all year. What's the worst movie of the year, according to this reviewer? Gotti. No! Starring John Travolta, which is why he's got light hair and looked the way he did the other day on TV. I saw posters for that all over New York City when we were there. Sounds kind of cool, but I'll read you just a little bit of the review, which is funny in the New York Post. And then we'll get to the return of pay toilets. I'd rather wake up next to a severed horse head than ever watch Gotti again. (laughs) Excellent (laughs) mob reference. Says the New York Post. The worst movie of the year so far. The long-awaited biopic of the Gambino crime boss. Um, the finished product belongs in a cement bucket at the bottom of the river. <laughs> John Travolta was hoping that Don Gotti would be his Don Corleone. It's his chef Boyardee. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that even mean? And more stuff like that. Why? It's supposed no. to be just awful. 
Well, it went through like eight directors and a bunch of story oh, changes. And it Troubled. Just, just doesn't hold together. But anyway, yeah. that's wow. too bad. I was kind of hoping it would be good. So we got this note from Craig in Cupertino. When my kids were younger, we used to frequent a Carl's Jr. a few minutes from our home, which is long since closed. Nostalgia came calling on Father's Day. We made our way to a Carl's in Sunnyvale, California, located adjacent to a less-than-high-end strip mall, which included a bikini bar and tat shop. Mm-hmm. What's a bikini bar? Mm-hmm. Well, the girls serve drinks in bikinis. I'll let you know. I'm oh, that go reminds me. That reminds me. Oh, super good news for San Diego. Not only are we doing a Taco Tuesday event for the mighty KFMB AM uh, tomorrow evening. Tomorrow evening, right? Yeah. Um, Stormy Daniels has announced that she'll do two nights in the San Diego area as part of her Make America Horny Again tour. Two nights of what? In uh, Of skankery. Stripping what? at a strip club. And shaking her bits and showing you her openings, apparently. Oh, I'm sorry, it's time for plain talk. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it is. Clearly. Well, that's, I just, I'm sick of the, the whole CNN, MSNBC. We're just trying to tell our truth. Now, you're trying to promote your porn. But anyway, she's doing a couple of nights at, uh, what's the name of the club? I saw it a minute ago. Uh, 50 bucks each. She's scheduled to perform at Expose in Kearney Mesa. Uh, tickets are 50 bucks each for the show. If you even consider spending $50 for this, Throw your money into the Pacific Ocean, unless, or light it on fire, or send it to me. You don't deserve it. Unless you're going only because you're wondering, like, what the politics and 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 show of it would be like. Yeah, I'll grant you that. Uh, that's and even that's questionable. But if you're going because she's hot and I want to oh, see her please. naked, hey, oh honey, my I'll, I'll God. be back later. I'm going to looks at cue card. Check out the politics and show of it at the strip club. <laughs> see you later, honey. Meanwhile, back at the Carl's in Sunnyvale, to my surprise, writes Craig. I noticed that the bathroom doors had been fitted with paylocks. Yes! And he shows a picture there. It cost a quarter to access a bathroom. I remember as a kid that paid toilets were common in department stores. I remember that, too. So so was parents sliding their children under the stall doors. Ugh. I don't remember pay toilets, actually. I'd only experienced them in other countries. Mexico, Italy, Russia. And I thought, this is freaking awesome. It keeps them from being... Disgusting. I remember it in the New York metro area when I was a little kid. Well, you were out in the Great Plains. I was in Gotham. And, uh, yeah, it was a dime, I think, at the time. That's just a great idea. And hence the uh, the great uh, poetry. Here I sit brokenhearted. Paid a dime. Anyway. Uh, in there, There's more to it, but uh, we have no time. In 1971, everything changed when Assemblywoman March Fong jumped on a growing national movement championing the idea that free bathrooms were a basic human right oh, and authored a bill to eliminate toy- pay toilets. Ronald Reagan signed the legislation into law. You've got to be kidding. And the freedom to pee freely in California kn- was born. How did I not know this? How about uh, private enterprise is a, is a basic human right? And if I want to have a pay toilet, I'll have a pay toilet. There's more to this note. It's very funny. We'll get to it uh, before the news. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Homeland Security chief, no apologies for border policies. GOP leader Trey Gowdy's got some advice to the Russia meddling investigators. And millenniums and marriage coming up. Yeah, Millennials. What Trey Gowdy has to say is pretty good stuff. This could be an interesting 24, 48 hours. Crank it, Michael. My son's going to a rock climbing camp this week. Oh, fun. And uh, the amount of legal 
paperwork I had to fill out for him to be able to do that is amazing in lawyered up America. Probably won't stand up anyway if anybody ever sues. That's what I was thinking as as reading that. It was saying, if our equipment fails and he is killed, it's not our fault. I thought, there's no way that that holds up in court. So Judy and I went to not one but two real estate signings the other day where you go to the title company and you sign 75, 80 different forms. You have no idea what any of them are. Uh, and and we said to the lady, this is insane. She said, yeah, it's more all the time. Yep, they Every time a bank gets sued, they add another form that, you know, you've got to sign here, 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 and here, and date, and the rest of it, and, you know, whether it holds up in court or not. I mean, it's like, it's like the, um, there was one we had to sign, and then I got to get back to this letter from Craig, but um, we had to sign a form that said, if we default on the loan, the bank has... Uh, we understand the bank will contact the credit agencies. If you default on a mortgage and the bank doesn't tell the credit agencies, what's the bank doing and what's the credit agency doing? That's right. what they do. How in the world, what kind of world, would you need to sign that form in? It's just it's bizarre. Defies Somebody explanation. Somebody sued and said, I didn't know that would happen. Right, exactly. So real quickly... Uh, we were talking about the return of pay toilets in some of your gritty urban areas. I want it anywhere. Everywhere. One, one assemblyman, uh, assemblywoman, March Fong, in California in 1971, championed the idea that pooping is a basic human right. Uh, Go- Governor Ronald Reagan signed the legislation into law. Then Craig points out, a few years later, March Fong leveraged her 15 minutes to become California, California's first female Secretary of State. Her adopted son, Matt Fong, ran a dreadful 1998 Senate campaign against renowned imbecile Barbara Boxer. (laughs) And I read you that paragraph entirely to get to the phrase renowned imbecile Barbara Boxer. Well written, Craig. Well written. (laughs) Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen defending the Trump administration's policies in immigration. We have to do our job. We will not apologize for doing for our job. We have sworn to do this job. Speaking of law enforcement summit in New Orleans today, Nielsen insisted that children who have been separated from their parents at the border are being well taken care of. It is important to note that these minors are very well taken care of. Don't believe the press. And And if you're a legitimate seeker of asylum, go to a port of entry. Did you hear our immigration experts saying we give them dental care that they don't get back in their own country and everything? Why are we paying for this? Because we're we're compassionate people. That's right. Nielsen going on to say the administration is merely enforcing laws that have been passed by Congress. We cannot detain children with their parents. So we must either release both the parents and the children, this is the historic get-out-of-jail-free practice of the previous administration, or the adult and the minor will be separated as a result of prosecuting the adult. As you observe the storm around you right now, if you're a news junkie and you're following all this, now I think you can fully appreciate what we're talking about when we say neither party wants to solve this. It's such a great hook. Look how hooked everybody is, how engaged they are. You just can't wait to get to the polls to vote for a Democrat or vote for a Republican. They'll never solve this, the phonies. I've been running down the street grabbing children away from their parents and running off you with should. them. Just I mean, in if they're even the like medium tanned, snatch them away. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> The FBI handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation will be the hot topic on Capitol Hill this week. Representative uh, Trey Gowdy was on Fox News Sunday responding to the IG's report looking into that very situation. 
Chris Wallace asking what at this point his advice is to Bob Mueller on how to carry out the ongoing investigation into Russian meddling. Do the very best you can with the evidence and the witnesses you have, but understand that this is being used by political enemies to hurt Donald Trump. Adam Schiff wants to be the chairperson of of the House Intelligence Committee. Nancy Pelosi wants to be the Speaker of the House. They want Bob Mueller to do what Peter Strzok and Hillary Clinton could not do, which is beat Donald Trump. So just be aware that you're being used would be my advice to Bob Mueller. Gowdy is the chair of the House Oversight Committee. He's going to be questioning the Inspector General tomorrow. And a renowned straight shooter has criticized Trump harshly when he sees fit. Yep. And said the whole Spygate thing was uh, laughable. It's a joke. I mean, it's that's the, the, perfectly the idea appropriate. That they planted a spy in the campaign. He said, "No, it's just right. a standard." I'm not right. sure I agree with him on that, but he, the point is, he isn't always on Trump's side. Right? He was a lot yesterday on uh, with Chris Wallace because he's really bothered, and as he says, he's a big he he's a big supporter of the FBI and the Justice right. Department. He is really bothered by uh, the way a lot of FBI agents acted through this whole thing. We've got more on that coming up. Millennials may be getting married later than generations that came before them, but when they do finally tie the knot, we got a new study found they're spending more on their weddings than previous generations ever did. Stop Yay, it. Bad or idea. Boo. It's just it's a bad idea. Yeah, Don't well, do that, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Wedding Wire's 2018 newlywed report found the average cost of a millennial wedding, the average cost is $36,000. I don't insane. believe, I'm not sure I believe this. It just seems, doesn't it seem like it would go the other direction with the millennial crowd? That they'd spend less on their wedding? It does seem, uh, yeah, it's surprising. It's counterintuitive. What's your source there, Marshall? This is uh, Wedding Wire 2018. Uh, yeah, well, it's a website that makes its money probably off of lavish weddings. Well, now here's the deal. The, the expenses they're quoting include all the wedding expenses, including the engagement ring and the honeymoon. And they point out... That millennials are actually only covering a small part of that. They're getting most ah. of their help from family so and friends. So the parents friends. of millennials are spending yes. more than ever on weddings. That yes. is possible. Yes. Mexico scored a huge upset over defending champion and world number one Germany in the World Cup on Sunday. But the other big surprise, Iceland held on for a 1-1 draw against Argentina. Iceland, the smallest country ever in the World Cup. Their fans going wild. In Iceland, we have stamina. Yeah. Stamina built Iceland. up through lava and mountains. Iceland is the perfect underdog. I mean, yes. we the World Cup. World yeah. Cup. Brazil, good night. Wow, the universal language is apparently drunk sports idiots. <laughs> yes. Yes, they scored their first ever World Cup goal. Yes. In a, uh, yeah, because of the, the stamina they have the with the volcanoes and the, the, the ice. Volcanoes, and the, yeah. the mountains. They come up to the mountains. And the, the mountains. mountains. Yeah. And the fjords. The fjords give us stamina. <laughs> That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall awesome. Phillips. The Armstrong Getty Show. The conscience of the nation. That's great. <laughs> Little <laughs> Iceland. Yeah. 375 people. It's the entire population of Iceland. Did you know that? Speaking of sports fans, a San Francisco brewery has just released a beer called LeBron's Tears. <laughs> oh, man. And speaking of San Francisco, we ought to touch again. International coverage of San Francisco being a dirty, scary, bummy hellhole as uh, tourism plunges. And I tell you what, Portland, you're next. Seattle, you're next. San Diego, you're next. It's uh, San Francisco in the headlines because it's, you know, one of the great uh, top-tier tourist destinations. 
you eat too much this weekend? What's the hottest diet out there? It seems to be working the best. Huh? You want to know, don't you? I do. I really do. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. You will make So we're playing Beatles and Wings and whatever song. I, I tweeted the worst thing I've ever tweeted over the weekend. I don't know why I did it. I tweeted my stitches my stitches that I got last week from the doctor. I don't know why I tweeted a picture of that. That's disgusting. I stumbled across that when I was scrolling through, and I almost unfollowed. Why, why, would, I, why would I do that? <laughs> you know what I did? I just wanted a reaction. It was very, very base- social media sort of thing. I'm really sick to my stomach. And I, tr- I threw up yesterday. Yeah, it was it was not cool. I regret it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I wish I hadn't done it. So I mentioned Michael Jackson's elephant escaped. Uh, make sure that I've got <laughs> everything covered here before I get to this. Okay, so the hot new diet. This is um, getting a lot of attention. Jimmy Kimmel talks about it a lot because he's doing it. The new fasting movement that has taken the nation by storm. It's an overarching term for a bunch of different, it's an umbrella term for a variety of eating patterns that all fit between eating and then not eating, which is fasting. But mm. this fasting thing is getting a lot of attention. There's there's a number of people that say it's, it's, it's a bunch of crap. There are a number of people that say, no, this is the way we were designed, which makes sense to me that we probably got to eat when we you know caught a bison and killed it, and then we didn't get to eat for several days until we caught something. Sure. You know, we might be designed that way. Well, plus you just you couldn't venture out after dark because you might get eaten yourself for most of human history. Or the weather or whatever. Get the hell beat out of here. Robbed. Anyway, <clears throat> we should link this article because it's got <clears throat> it's the ultimate guide to intermittent fat intermittent fasting. And it's got the pros and cons and the, the different ways there are. So there's the eighteen six model. That's 18 hours of fasting to a six-hour window in which you can eat whoa, normally. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not doing Too that narrow. That's Too narrow. so hard to do. I'm not doing that one. So, wait a second. Let me do the math. I'd have to wait till after the show. I'd be sitting in the parking lot at IHOP looking at my watch. Okay, oh, I'm going to sit, here. Oh, God, I'm gonna oh, sit God, here for please. six hours now. So, I could eat between 10 and 4. That's it. I could do that. I mean, you could do it. It wouldn't be that pleasant. Okay, there's the 18-6. There's the 16-8, which would be similar, right? 16 hours of fasting, then 8 hours eating. That's definitely doable. The 5-2 model is what Jimmy Kimmel does, in which fasters eat normally for five days and then eat only 500 calories the other two days. I see. There's alternate day fasting, which is, uh, you, you know... Obviously, you eat one day, then you don't eat. You eat little to nothing the other day. Um, this one is supposed to be the hardest one to do. Mm. See, I can see how the five two that Jimmy Kimmel's doing. I can see that because dieting, eating right, is easy to do for a little while, right? So that one, and and you build up guilt and self hatred, right? So you build up your guilt and self hatred for five days. You see pictures of, of yourself fat. You get on the scale. Somebody makes a comment. All those things happen during those five days. Hey, fat, so that sort of comment. And then, you, 
<laughs> or G, you're fat. Oh, boy. <laughs> that, that's a comment. <laughs> but uh, then you, you build that up, and then for two days, you, you eat hardly nothing. You can't keep that up. So right. then you're right back to it. Right. I, I don't know if I would lose weight on that, but it says you can. Eat the way you've been eating for five days, then take two days practically completely. I might try that one. Would you try to time it for the weekends? That's the worst time to not eat, right? Try to maybe Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, I could see that. I can drink coffee, right? Oh, yeah. Of course you can. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to just eliminate 300 calories per day and... Which is what they say you need to do to lose weight. Reasonable and moderate is the best, but that's the hardest. With everything. That's just the hardest. It's it's easy to go buy a gym membership and work out like crazy for a month Mm -hmm. and then never do it again. That's a lot easier than, I'm going to exercise 15 minutes every day or whatever. Um, This expert suggests for the fasting a 14-10 fasting to eating ratio, meaning you'd eat over a 10-hour period, say between 8 and 6, and then fast the rest of the time. That's practically what a lot of us do, isn't it? Yeah, that way you can still that's, have a, a, that's so- a starter pack. That way you can still have a social life, still function at work while getting all the benefits of time-restricted eating provides. Right. That's, that's what I'm currently trying to do. I tried to do the eating within the eight-hour window, and that's pretty hard with, with my, my schedule because I'm, I'm up yeah. for a lot of I might hours. time shift it slightly like to seven to five. But then I'd miss dinner. Can't do that. Whoops. Yeah. What I need to do is eliminate that fourth meal I eat before bed. That's exactly. the one that does me in. Well, that's why that that starter pack of the uh, what was it the fourteen hour or whatever. Yep, that's uh, that's that's doable. It just eliminates the late night snack. Snack hell to me. I eat a full meal. Yeah. <laughs> Last Friday night I made I got out a pound of sausage and I made a pound of hamburger gravy. Good lord! And then some toast. You're and like I ate a the, bear. I ate the whole thing. <laughs> You're like a bear that can cook. <laughs> Where are the oven mitts? <laughs> that's that's it. See, I uh, I don't have the late night snacks ever, uh, except out of a glass. That's my late night snack. Uh, yeah, that's my calories. When I drank, I never ate at night. Oh, really? Yeah. Because a lot of people get drunk up and they decide, you know, uh, potato skins would be a good idea, but not you, huh? Mm. Uh, I don't eat just the the, the grape. One hundred twenty five calories a glass. Is it? Yeah, roughly. Depends on, you know, for four or five ounces. Um, and, you know, I usually have 11 or 12 glasses <laughs> per night. <laughs> and so that's what? Uh, 100, 300 calories. <laughs> okay. Anyway, how much time do we have? This but is that, a really funny note. But that, that would add up, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, you know, we don't have time for this, but big lawsuit against Harvard University for racial discrimination against Asians. Yeah. I read an article over the weekend. It was kind of confusing to me that um, uh, the whole uh, affirmative action thing when it comes to Asians, because a lot of Asians, particularly students, do really, really well. Right. Yeah. So they, in in a lot of cases, at the higher levels of society, are against affirmative action um, because they feel it in a number of ways it hurts them and it takes away from what they accomplish by just working really hard. Right, exactly. You know, Bill de Blasio did a long interview on the uh, NPR that I heard recently about uh, they have these elite, like, super achiever schools in New York City that are really good to go to. Uh, but there are, I think, uh, they let in 1% of the applicants or less than 1% because they just, you know, there aren't enough slots. 
And um, and they're trying to f- figure out what to do about the fact that Asians are overrepresented. And black and Hispanic kids, there aren't enough of them. And it was interesting to hear uh, de Blasio run through the reasons for that. And, that, and he said, you know, there's a single test. N- nobody thinks a single uh, high-stakes testing is the way to run admittance. Nobody does it these days. And I thought, you know, that's, that's probably a pretty good uh, point. And he pointed out that uh, more affluent people can do the test prep and the rest. But I thought, you know, that's a fairly reasonable point, too. That's probably a factor. But he did not, would not, dares not, and nobody does get into cultural norms. How can you, how can you not say that Indian families, Asian families, um, they, they, they stress academics higher than black, black and, and Hispanic. Hispanic families, for instance? Or white. Right. Or white. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about that. Why, why, I, that's, that seems crazy. Now, yeah. somebody wrote a book or a column or whatever a couple weeks ago that black people from Nigeria do really well in the United States because oh, they yeah. have a culture of studying like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Black immigrants to the country have a much, much so higher level of achievement. It's, than, not, it's not skin color holding you back in school. It's just how much your family values studying. Well, that isn't the whole story, but it's a huge part of the story. And the fact that people don't have the guts to bring it up just shows they're not serious about solving the problem. To leave it out completely is really sure. disingenuous. Yep. Jewish sure. people, too, they uh, they value learning very, very highly. Uh, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.